thanks. Yeah, like uh, Aaron said, my name is Ryan, and uh, I'm a small group leader here with my wife, Becca. We have a uh, daughter, Anna, who's turning one in a couple weeks, which is really crazy. Um, yeah, she's just growing up so fast. Yeah, it's getting uh, cold out. Yeah, fall's definitely coming, which for me is kind of a bummer. I really like the summer. It's like you can uh, smell the pumpkin spice like wafting from the coffee shops already. So, uh, But yeah, it's good, I guess. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited and thankful to get to um, speak today and share God's word with you. Um, this summer at River City, we've been going through um, just a lot of different Old Testament passages and um, the theme is like seeing Jesus on every page. So we've been seeing how all these passages um, in the Bible, they point to Jesus. Uh, even last week, Aaron uh, went, through the, went through a chapter in the always riveting book of Leviticus. Um, but yeah, he did a really good job explaining how sin had to be paid for through sacrifice. And um, Jesus satisfied those sacrifices um, by dying on the cross. And um, it's through Jesus' blood that our sin is atoned for if we trust in him. Yeah, so um, all these stories that we're going through look forward to Jesus and reveal something about him. And the story today is one that everyone's heard of, even if you haven't opened up the Bible before, you've heard of David and Goliath. Um, yeah, it's a story we've all heard before and you know, commonly used as like an underdog story. Um, yeah, and when, when we read these stories, we tend to focus on the hero. Like in this instance, it would be David. But the point of the Old Testament isn't to reveal something about the heroes, but it's to reveal something about God. And what this story uh, reveals about God reminds me of another story. And that's with the New New England Patriots. (laughs) So the New England Patriots are a very successful NFL team of the past few decades, a couple decades. Uh, But in 2008, in the first game of their season, uh, their quarterback, Tom Brady, suffered a torn ACL. And he was ruled out for the entire season. Now, Tom Brady will probably retire in the next five years or so, and he'll go down as probably the best quarterback to ever play the game. But that season, Coach Bill Belichick used a backup quarterback, Matt Kessel, and coached them to an 11-5 season. That was all despite losing their MVP quarterback. There's a lot of debate about the Patriots' success and where it comes from. Is it due to their awesome quarterback, Tom Brady, or their great coach, Bill Belichick? I would argue that, that that season showed that Belichick is, this, is the source of their success because he was able to use an average quarterback, which is the most important position on the field, and they still won a lot of games. Yeah, so Belichick used an average quarterback to reveal the true source of the Patriots' success. And what I want us to see today is that just like Bill Belichick, God <laughs> uses an unlikely champion to reveal the true source of victory. God rescues his people through an unlikely champion so that they might trust the true source of victory. So I'll pray and then we'll dive into the text. Yeah, Jesus, uh, I'm just thankful and excited to get to speak today through your word. I pray that you would, um, yeah, just reveal to us um, the truth of David and Goliath and what it reveals about you and what it reveals about Jesus and um, yeah, just open our hearts and uh, speak through me and, um, yeah, empower me by your Holy Spirit. I love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, we're in First Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socha in Judah. 
They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soka and Ezekah. These are the exact correct pronunciations. <laughs> Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Ella and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites the other, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His, His shield bearer went out ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. For forty days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took, off, then he took his, the, his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bare in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, 
You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by a sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the line of battle to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took a hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from his sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sherim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. Whew. All right. So, to start out, we have these two armies on the opposite side of a valley. And Goliath from the Philistine line comes and asks for an opponent to fight him one-on-one. And we get this description of Goliath, that he's six cubits in a span, which in today's terms would be around nine foot tall, so he's huge. He has significant armor that's really heavy and strong. He even has his own shield bearer, who's like this soldier who would go out and hold a shield to protect him. And then Saul tells us later that he was a warrior from his youth. So he's trained his whole life to be a, sat, to be a soldier for this battle. Goliath was an undefeated, skilled, and talented soldier. And Goliath asks for a single champion to battle him. But first we're going to look at what, did, what kind of champion did the Israelites expect. And we're going to see that they expected a champion with human strength and skills. In verse 33, Saul is talking to David and he says, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. He says David can't fight Goliath because he isn't like Goliath. Saul wants an Israelite who is strong and talented to fight for Israel. He wants someone who can match Goliath in strength and skill. We also see that Goliath came out for 40 days straight. And every time he does that, the Israelites flee in fear. They're cowering in fear because no one's willing to battle him. They all assume defeat. Both Saul and Israel were expecting an Israelite soldier to match Goliath's strength. They were expecting a human strength to overcome their opponent. So in reality, they wanted to be, or they thought they had to be their own champion. If they really trusted God as David did, then they would fight on their own. They would know that God would deliver them from their enemies. But since they think their victory is dependent on themselves, they cower in fear. They know that Goliath is undefeatable in human terms and fail to see what David later reveals. So they expect a um, champion of human strength and skills. They also expect a champion they can control. So after David explains that God will rescue him, Saul then dresses David in his own armor. The armor doesn't fit, and David can't wear it. He's just not used to it, he says. But I'm picturing, like, when you put on your dad's clothes as a kid, and you, like, try to walk in their shoes, and it's just really cumbersome. I think that's what was going on. And, um, yeah, it's just 
interesting that even after Saul gives David the okay to fight, he doesn't actually trust that God's going to rescue him. He still is expecting an unfair battle, and he wants to control the situation. So both Israelites and the Saul expect a champion with human strength and one that they can control. And they both fail to see what their eventual champion sees. So the Israelites think they have to be their own champion, but then what kind of champion did God actually provide? Well, we know that that's David and that he was unlikely. That's because if we look at the passage, um, he's described as the youngest son of Jesse, a young man, a servant, and a boy. It's estimated that David was probably around 15 years old, which kind of uh, makes me feel bad because at 15, I think I was like really good at video games and learning how to drive, you know, but this guy had like killed wild beasts and was like battling a giant. So yeah, puts that in perspective, but (laughs) he couldn't even carry Saul's armor. So all these things are emphasizing his youth and his inexperience. David should have lost that fight 11 out of 10 times. Israel would have watched that fight go down and see David slay the giant and know that something wasn't quite right. It would be like uh, if the Vikings made the Super Bowl this year. Like, just something would be off. (laughs) Yeah, David wasn't even old enough to be a soldier. But God rescued David so the Israelites would recognize that it was only possible through divine intervention. Only by God intervening could he overcome an insurmountable giant. And we see this is true because David himself credits God. He trusted God to rescue rescue him from all things. In verse 35, David's talking about a bear attack, and he says, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. The uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And this is the key verse. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So this dude has killed lions and bears with his bare hands. We could say it was because he was like really brave or amazingly skilled that he did those things, but David doesn't credit any of that. He trusted God to rescue him. He never told Saul or anyone that he would beat Goliath because he was super skilled with a sling. He just trusted God. And for those reasons, God purposely used David because he wanted someone who would show the Israelites that all along it was God. It was truly God who was rescuing them. So we see the kind of champion that the Israelites expected and then the one they got. So what kind of victory did their champion achieve? If you remember the terms that Goliath lays out, he says, If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve, it, serve us. So there's another reason that Israel was so fearful. They're assuming they're as good as slaves. Goliath says that the loser of the, ba- of the one-on-one match will, be, will become subjects to the other. Since Israel doesn't think they have a chance, they're, uh, they're, sorry, they assume the worst. Slavery to another nation would have meant destruction of their entire way of life. As God's people, this meant they would have been away from God. And to them, that would have been as good as dead. But we see that David's victory is representative His victory is given to the Israelites. By David defeating Goliath, the Israelites defeat the Philistines. So then when David wins, Israel no longer has a threat of enslavement. They are free from fear of slavery and oppression. 
They're allowed to be with God. It also means that they were given rule over the Philistines. Goliath says himself that the Philistines will become Israel's subjects if he beats him. So not only do they get freedom, but they get empowerment. And this victory would have meant real power over their enemies. So it was, his victory was representative, and it was also complete. When David hits Goliath in the head, he falls instantly. And just for good measure, David runs over and cuts off his head. Goliath himself declared that the winner between the champions would determine the winner of the battle. So Israel had won. There was no more fighting needed. The Philistines immediately retreat in fear as the Israelites, or the, yeah, as the Israelites chase them away and plunder their camp. God showed the Israelites that day that it was through David that he rescued them. God was the true source of victory, and they were to trust God alone for their rescue. Their attempts to save themselves would have never worked, and they needed a champion to rescue them. Their champion's true source of victory was from God himself. So what does this mean for us now in 2017? It's natural for us to read this story and want to put ourselves in David's shoes. I know that's what I did when I first read it. You know, if we trust God, then he will rescue us from whatever. But we need to think about what we talked about early on, that the point of this passage isn't to reveal something about David or us. It's about revealing something about God. We're not David. We have way more in common with the Israelites. And I think especially how they needed to be rescued. They needed deliverance from this insurmountable soldier in battle. And a loss to them meant death. It meant slavery. It meant oppression and not living as they were meant to live. And we have an enemy just like Goliath that we need rescue from. And that enemy is sin. The Bible says that the punishment of sin is death. It says that we're slaves to sin, that sin makes us subject to God's wrath and apart from him. That sounds pretty familiar. These are the same things that that the Israelites were facing in Goliath. And when I talk about sin, um, sin is like a condition of our heart. It's not just about like doing bad stuff or not just doing good stuff. It's about wanting to go our way instead of God's way. It's about living, or it's living for ourselves and other things rather than living for God. And just like the Israelites, when it comes to sin, we look for ways to defeat it on our own strength and our own control. We try to be our own champion. We try to defeat it on our own. We think we can beat it in human terms, and we try to control it. I see this in myself a lot with my um, desire to put my comfort first. I'm all about my time, my comfort, what makes me happy and relaxed. And this leads to a lot of things, um, including like being lazy at work and home. I can easily put myself above Becca and Anna. And uh, yeah, I just seek to maximize time doing things that are relaxing and fun. And I can even turn like really good and joyful things into burdens because it like isn't my first option all the time. And just like the Israelites, my natural tendency is to try to fix that on my own. Like for instance, I might try to be more productive, um, but that just ends up leading to like other sins and problems. Like I'll just end up grumbling the whole time. Or I feel guilty when I mess up and I'm not as productive as I wish I would have been. I can also try to uh, fix it by justifying the fact that I deserve me time. But that's just, that just leads to other bad things like manipulating other people and convin- trying to convince them that I've worked hard and deserve that time. This leads to lots of other things in ways that fixing it myself doesn't work. That's because self-effort and control will always lead to failure and guilt and shame. 
I'm failing to see what David saw, just like the Israelites, that God is our rescuer and the true source of the victory over our sin. But God didn't leave us there. You know, he, he uh, just like the Israelites, um, he wanted to rescue us. God sent a champion to defeat sin, just as he sent David to defeat Goliath. What we saw in David as a champion was that he showed his people who their true champion was, that God was the one that would deliver them. And God delivers his people from sin through another champion. But the difference is that sin doesn't have a human match. Giant, it's a giant that can only be defeated by God himself. So that's why God had to come save us himself in Jesus. Jesus was the creator of the universe in human form. He was born in a manger, raised as a carpenter, and he walked around for three years healing people, performing miracles, and proclaiming his good news of salvation for all that trusted in him. And then he was rejected and mocked to the point of death on a cross. And despite living a perfect life of love and sacrifice for God to the world, he was murdered by the very people that he came to save. God rescued, the, God rescued David to show the Israelites that they couldn't defeat Goliath on their own. And in the same way, God sent Jesus that we might know that we can't save ourselves. We needed Jesus' death to be right with God once again, to be free from sin. So Jesus reveals to us that God had to provide a way, the only way, to be rescued from the death we deserved. And uh, just as David's victory was representative and complete, so is Jesus. It's representative first. Uh, we see that in Romans five eighteen through 19. It says this, One righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Through the, obedi- through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. So Jesus' death on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve applies to all who believe in him. When we believe the gospel, we are given his righteousness that he earned. David's slaying of Goliath meant victory for the Israelites. Jesus' blood taking the wrath for our sin means victory for those who trust in him. What good news is that? How great is that? We do 0% of the work and we get freedom. Just like the Israelites did nothing, but they were granted victory and freedom over another nation. How sweet is it that the same thing is true for us, except over a much bigger enemy? And because Jesus defeated sin, we are also empowered by him to battle sin. Jesus promises a change of our hearts to be more like him and changes our desires to follow him. Our desires of our hearts become more aligned with his. So like for me and my comfort, I can trust that Jesus has forgiven me for that um, and made me right with God. But then it also empowers me um, to value my comfort less and to worship Jesus more. It gives me freedom and power to worship Jesus, not my comfort. And Jesus' victory is also complete like David's. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ suffered once for, all, for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. By one single act, Jesus defeated sin and wipes away the sins of those who believe in him. In Jesus, we are 100% forgiven, 100% free. Just as Israelites were no longer threatened by the oppression of the Philistines, we can be free from the oppression of sin. On the cross, as, as he was dying, Jesus said three words, It is finished. He was declaring that sin no longer has any power, and by Jesus' blood, the punishment that, for sin that was deserved for all was paid by him. 
So God sent Jesus as a champion over sin that we would trust his death to save us, not anything on our own power. So trust that. Trust that in Jesus alone, he, pro- he promises forgiveness and freedom. Don't try to be your own champion. Sin cannot be fought on human terms. And doing that would just miss the entire point of what God is showing us in David and Goliath. The story that we read today shows us that God is to be our rescuer. He wants us to rely on him to save us from what we have no chance of defeating on our own. Yeah, and that's uh, why we celebrate communion. It's remembering what Jesus has done on our behalf. Remembering here, um, it means that we're like acknowledging our trust in his death and having a reverence for it. Communion doesn't make us right with God. It's an outward showing of what we inwardly believe. So if that's not something you're ready to do today, that's okay, and we're really glad you're here. Um, But I challenge you to um, process and pray about anything God may be pressing on your heart. Uh, The communion table is in the back, so uh, you just take a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine. The wine represents Jesus' blood shed shed for our sins, and the bread represents his body broken for the punishment that we deserved. The worship team is going to come and play four songs, I think. And uh, you can go up and take it um, whenever you're ready to do so. So I'll pray as the worship team comes up. Yeah, Jesus, uh, thank you so much for what you revealed to us through David that um, only you can be our rescuer. Yeah, thank you that you sent Jesus for that and um, that he rescues us from our sins if we trust in him. And I pray that we would do that, that we would trust that um, only he can rescue us and save us from the punishment that we deserved. And um, yeah, that through his blood that that's possible. Yeah, we love you, and um, yeah, we're just thankful for those things that they're true. Amen.